Welcome to Empire, presented by CW Hemp, a weekly installment dedicated to exploring the non-psychoactive side of the cannabis plant. Once a cornerstone of the American economy, hemp has been used in over 25,000 products, including paper, textiles, construction materials, health food, and fuel. Now, tune in and discover all there is to know about this wonder crop making a historic comeback. Empire, presented by CW Hemp, starts now. Hey, welcome again to Hempire, the show devoted to all things hemp. I'm super excited to have you back on Cannabis Radio. We've got a wonderful guest today, Alex Brandt Zawadzki, and I'm actually going to let him introduce himself and just give us a little bit about his background. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you, Dr. Earlywine. My name is Alex Brandt Zawadzki, or BZ for short. Uh, my background, I sort of bounced around a bit, journalism politics, community organizing, and right now I'm sort of trying to make it in the barely existent hemp industry. There's some boat hemp in there and a few organizations. Uh, I helped work on getting letters of support for SB 566, the California Industrial Hemp Farming Act, and yeah, you know, Sounds I'll, great, man. I, I'm really grateful to anybody who's doing this, but I feel like you really got your finger on the pulse of the of the hemp world right now. You've mentioned sure. there are some Never folks out there who don't really understand that there really is a science behind hemp. Could you could you comment on that a minute? So a couple of years back, I was studying at the University of San Francisco, getting a master's in public affairs, and I did a kind of a self imposed. Uh, Specialty, what do you call it? Um, anyhow, I focused on hemp. And uh, one of the first papers I wrote, it was the first time I'd kind of, you know, one had access to all the, the sort of research tools you get at a university to do this kind of work. And uh, two, you know, having been a longtime hemp enthusiast and having covered it in one capacity or another in, in journalism once or twice, you know, I thought I knew what was up. I did not know what was up. There were things like advantages of hemp construction materials, hemp carbon nano sheets, you know, hemp graphene, all the different ways you can get biofuel out of hemp and uh, you know, the cellulosic ethanol. Anyway, multiple different ways. It's, it, you can triple crop hemp for biofuel, the seeds, the herd fiber, and the vast fiber. And, and it's just the opportunities are incredible. And But then, you know, I was a little surprised to encounter some pushback, even from within the industry, people not really familiar with the science or saying the science wasn't in. And, uh, you know, here I am writing my master's thesis with dozens of peer-reviewed research papers from around the world talking about things like, oh, benefits of hemp meal in bread and benefits of hemp biofuel. It's, maybe it's the best energy crop. Just sounds like we've come a long way since Hemp for Victory. It has. And I was watching him. I remember the first time I watched Hemp for Victory in like the recent past. There's a line in there that just told me it was uh, talking about how any 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 soil suitable for corn would be good for hemp. And I thought to myself, man, the corn farmers must have heard that and just been totally scared. Given how big the corn industry is, I can only imagine. imagine. Well, you know, listen, you. you, Yep. 
allude to some of the electronic and and sort of nanotype things that I feel like some of our listeners don't really know about. Would you care to elaborate on those? A bit. Um, I mean, you know, they're very developmental, but there's a uh, scientist named David Midlin who was at University of Alberta, and now I believe he is at Clarkson in New York. And he has figured out a way to generate carbon nanosheets from hemp. And uh, there's a big write-up a year or two ago. You know, this could revolutionize all sorts of things. Graphene at the moment is, uh, it's, you know, been called the super material of the future, kind of like hemp was once called. Uh, and costs, it could cost as much as $2,000 to manufacture per gram, at least back in 2013. Meanwhile, this guy, Professor Midland, is saying, oh, well, you can use hemp to manufacture graphene for less than $500 per ton, which is about Wow, that's super impressive. impressive. All right, hey, we're back. Sorry, we had a, we had a little uh, connection issue, but uh, Alex, you were giving us the lowdown on the ecological advantages of hemp. Right. Um, I was explaining how, you know, an example of, of that and how whatever you're using hemp for, it, it can improve um, the ecology. It was uh, that high-yielding energy crop paper I was talking about actually came out of Sweden in 2012. Uh, they're talking about, in addition to the energy yields, and whatnot that make hemp such a good energy crop. It's got other advantages like low pesticide requirements, good weed competition, suitability as a break crop and cereal oriented crop rotations, blah, blah, blah. Um, which are just a bunch of ways of saying that, you know, it has additional benefits. And most of those benefits being a lack of the detriments that other crops can cause, you know, I mean, also if you're using hemp for fiber, Thinking on an alternative to, uh, say, cotton, which uses some of the most pesticides of any plant on the planet. So it sounds like there are fewer pesticides, but also like the amount of energy you get in is a good ratio for the amount of energy you get out. Right. Well, they call that with energy crops the well-to-wheel ratio. So the well portion being, you know, the carbon footprint, the effort, energy water, etc., uh, put into growing the crop, any detriment caused by pesticides or herbicides, all that kind of thing. And then the wheel side of that equation is how much energy you get, you know, how effective it is as a fuel, and also how much it pollutes, how much carbon it puts back into the air, that kind of thing. And um, Perfect. I think we yeah, got it. Is, is, is there a chance to explain sort of how the biofuels really work? Is it just like putting gas in your car or what do you think? It's just like putting biodiesel in your car, I'd say. So there's three different ways you can get biofuels from hemp. You can use the sort of inner fiber, the herd, the woody chunks, and basically burn them kind of like you would wood or charcoal. There are the long, thin fibers, the sort of ones that you, um, you call it clothes rope out of, and you can use those 
for cellulosic ethanol, which is similar to, I mean, the kind of ethanol you can get from corn, uh, which is another thing to strike fear in the hearts of corn growers. And, of course, you can press the seeds and get the oil from that, and then you can use that to make a biodiesel. I mean, so in some ways, it's kind of a triple threat. It is in, it, it is exactly a triple threat. I mean, like I was saying earlier, if you're growing hemp for energy, you can triple, you can literally use almost every, like every part of the plant. And if you're not, uh, if you're just trying to get a hold of some hemp to make energy out of, all you really need to do is find someone who's growing hemp for a different purpose and whatever part of the you can make fuel out of. It just sounds so much more efficient than any other source of biofuel we really have. Would you like me to take it to the ludicrous degree? By all means, I love ludicrous degrees. We could someday be strapping on our hemp spacesuits, getting into rockets built out of graphene and other materials derived from hemp and fueled by hemp biofuels, among other things and operated using circuits based on carbon nanotubes derived from hemp. There was just an article out a couple days ago saying for the first time um, carbon nanotubes are outperforming silicone for electronics. And zoom away off to Mars where you will land and dwell in habitats built from hemp grown on that planet from seeds stashed in previous rockets. And eat a diet, and eat a diet based mainly on, you know, hemp. It contains all 19 essential, well, quote unquote, 19 essential amino acids. That's a whole other debate right there. But hemp's got them. Well, no, and, we'll get into that. We we do have to take a break. The hempire community is really enjoying this uh, science fiction reverie, and we'll we'll talk about the food and and more from the plant. I really appreciate Alex. Vivian McPeak, my cannabis radio brother, would say we've got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. We'll be right back after these messages. Hold on for more Empire after you've grown to learn more about our sponsors. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? 
Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase and gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Mentions the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on CannabisRadio.com. And don't try to debate me on something. Motherfucker, I can't do many things well. But words are my shit. The Stoner Jesus Show. Live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. Time to harvest more crop-tastic content on Hempire, only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back. Thanks for joining us again on Hempire. We're talking with Alex BZ. Uh, we were actually having a really nice reverie about a science fiction scene where basically everything that got us all the way to Mars uh, was hemp-based. And then uh, we were alluding to the food we were going to eat that would also be hemp-based. Can we talk a minute about the amino acids and the, and the wild nutrients that are available in the hemp seed and the rest of the plant? Uh, the food side of it isn't my particular area of expertise. I'd be interested to know what you've heard about it. I, I mean, I do, I do get a lot of ranting about how the essential amino acids are almost all there. And I know folks get really concerned about their need for protein when it comes to any kind of vegetarian source. But I'm afraid that's just uh, the meat industry kind of invading our minds over the years about how much, basically, how much how much we end up uh, eating in the first place. I'm, I'm not sure adults need uh, all the red meat we seem to be eating. Oh, well, I definitely don't think we need as much red meat as the meat industry would suggest. You know, beef is not what's for dinner all the time. But uh, hemp is, uh, you know, it's one of the superfoods. It's uh, got, I can't can't tell you the exact amounts of protein, but I mean, it's one of those things where, I mean, there's, you know, hemp protein powder is a massive seller for a reason. And you know, part of that is also because it's a good alternative to, say, people who are trying to avoid whey protein products or or soy, actually. Avoiding soy has become a big thing and for people concerned about, you know, whether or not we're really supposed to be digesting soy or unfermented soy. But, you know, back to the science angle. Uh, that same university in Slovenia that put out the paper on agroclimactic factors influencing you know, THC levels in hemp, you know, which would be hugely valuable to farmers trying to keep that THC level below 0.3%. They also had a great paper on the benefits of hemp meal added to bread. I mean, you can use hemp for food in anything where you would be using an oil or a meal of some kind or corn. And that's the amazing thing about this plant. It's, it's not necessarily the single best product for every use out there. That would be silly. It has actually been proven to be the best product for some uses, but what it is, is it's an alternative. It's another option that producers and manufacturers have. In many cases, it's a cheaper option. In many cases, it's a superior option. And so it just stands to compete with 
you know, with wood pulp, with fiberglass, with concrete, plastic. And so here's what's going to happen. It's got, it's, it's got own price elasticity, meaning, you know, even if hemp becomes insanely popular and farmers start growing tons more hemp, and then there's a lot, the, the market is, is filled and the price drops, hemp is going to become cheaper. But that means it'll become the cost effect. It'll, it'll become the cost effective alternative for a bunch of new applications. As the each time the price of hemp goes down, the utility of hemp goes up. So basically, even if the value of hemp, every time the value of hemp drops, the utility of hemp goes up. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So as prices go down, it's actually going to become more and more competitive in each of these different domains. I, I feel like this is a super exciting time to be a hemp investor. I do notice that all the, the studies you're citing seem to be from outside the U.S. Do you have any comments on that? I do. There's a general attitude uh, of sort of disregard for research done outside of the borders of the 50 United States and it's frankly shocking and offensive. I mean, there, there is, there is a tome of data out there, uh, peer reviewed studies from respected institutions, respected scientists on all manners of hemp and cannabis. Israel is about 10 years ahead of us. At least they're decades ahead of us on their medical cannabis research alone. But, it's basically up until almost this year, it's been incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to conduct research on either medical marijuana or even industrial hemp. Um, here in California, we've been struggling for years, even though we passed the Industrial Hemp Farming Act back in 2013. Uh, it only lets us grow hemp as permitted by the federal government, basically, and the federal government only permitted in 2014 with the Farm Bill, certain research institutions to and work. And you're in a real insider on on that. And I'm I'm just curious. Are you are you comfortable saying sort of where we could grow and and where things might be happening? Uh, well, I mean, things might be happening now. For the first time, we might actually have the first pilot hemp research project in the state here in California at uh, Cal Poly Pomona. Um, a gentleman by the name of Tony DeVera is just waiting to hear back from the, uh, the DEA on his permit, which they told him to expect sometime in September. And that will make him the first sort of DEA-approved researcher in the state. Um, you know, we can finally catch up to other states like Colorado and Kentucky, which have been doing some excellent, excellent research um, for, you, for, for a while now. So when I say research, I'm not talking about massive labs and even, you know, chemistry and taking things apart. Even just basically what seeds grow best here versus what seeds grow best there. Well, so it I've sounds seen, like a... A super Sorry, exciting time for, for all this stuff. Uh, I'm curious, Alex, if, if you had, you know, infinite funds and, and no legal restrictions, is there a, a research study you'd like to see happen right off the bat? There is. I would like to see um, a, a really, truly excellent study, economic impacts of industrial hemp in Kentucky. 
which was done in uh, 88, 98. Anyway, it is, uh, it just really inspired and infused a lot of my work on this subject. And it was put out by Dr. Eric Thompson, Dr. Mark Berger, and Stephen Allen in, yes, July 1998, Center for Business and Economic Research, University of Kentucky. It talks about all of the various advantages that hemp could benefit Kentucky's economy, everything from animal bedding for their horse racing to biofuels to you know, tobacco substitutes. And I just think if that if this study could be expanded to every state and every state could see the specific economic benefit, environmental benefits, scientific benefits of growing hemp in their state, it would be very valuable. Well, so it sounds like even one just focused on California could could point towards literally millions and millions of dollars. Is there a, oh. a domain you feel like California might be unique or at least uh, categorically different from, from Kentucky as far as hemp uses might be concerned? Well, there's a USDA report from early in the 20th century that seems to cite California hemp as growing better, basically getting getting more hemp per acre than anywhere else in the world at that time. So there's that. Um, there's the potential for, you know, 12 months of growing seasons. And then I oh, do know well, California is, is you know, a, a much bigger population than Kentucky. It seems like there'd be a, a lot of uh, implications for just feeding folks. Do you feel like that might be an advantage and might be some way to, to add some of this up? Oh, definitely. Tons of advantages. I mean, for example, I was thinking how great would it be for kids if we could get hemp incorporated into school lunches? I don't see anyone having a problem with that. Do you? <laughs> Sounds like a, a nice vegetarian source of protein that nobody would have, yeah. have any trouble with at all. Listen, I no, know you feed it right to the kids. Yeah, I know you were responsible. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe we could start. Maybe we could start with trials and prisons. But I'm sorry, you were saying. No, no, no. I, I think uh, the prisoners could use it as well. The the pressure to keep the THC levels down uh, is there a lot behind that? Do you feel like it's it's really uh, as important as people pretend? And you know, are the are the implications actually that realistic? Nobody's um, going to grow a 32 percent yes, THC yes, hemp no, plant, right? No. Right. It's um, at the moment it's arbitrary, but you know, it's every every little bit of progress is just that. It's a little bit of progress. It's a little bit closer to the goal. I mean, is it silly that in Colorado you can only get medical cannabis in a special plastic bag that meets the certifications and has a special clip on it? Uh, I mean, it seems to me it's a little silly simply because I can walk down the street here in San Francisco and pick up my medicine as one would any over-the-counter pharmaceutical substance. Um, but, you know, at the same time, uh, the law is the law, and 0.3% THC is how the federal government has finally begun to differentiate between hemp and THC. And as far as I'm concerned, anything that starts to open up research and actually lets us begin to not re-appreciate, but I mean, to finally begin to appreciate this plant. I mean, think of all, we've done a whole lot of development in terms of our, you know, what we know we can do with 
basic staple commodities. You know, people weren't making, well, anyhow, we are a little bit behind in our understanding of hemp because no one's been studying it. So anything that lets us, you know, move forward in learning more about it, uh, even if it's arbitrary, even if it's silly, even if it's based on junk science, we're not going to get the gourmet science until we can start doing basic basic research, which has been denied to us for decades. Now, that makes sense. And, and behind that, I know you've been uh, instrumental with the Vote Hemp crew. Could you tell us a little bit about that movement? Um, I was lucky enough to work with Vote Hemp during my master's program, um, mostly here in California, with the excellent legal mind of Patrick Goggin, who helped draft SB 566. Since then, I, they're you know, more of a nationally focused group and a lobbying group, and I'm a lot more focused or have been a lot more focused specifically on California. Um, I can tell you my favorite story about working with them, which would be getting called a member of the hemp Taliban. <laughs> I can only imagine how that how that must have happened. But do you feel like uh, pe- people are getting the message and, and more and more people are, are signing on? Oh, clearly. I mean, it's it's a bit mind boggling to you know talk to people about this who, who aren't hit to this jazz, who just have better things, other things to pay attention to. And just to hear how many people are still surprised that we can't legally grow hemp in America. They're like, but what about the shampoos? What about the lotions? What about the food bars and all the seeds? And like, yep, imported. All got to be imported. And, you know, they think it's silly. But then there's, you know, there are people out there, a lot of whom work at places like the DEA and the Office of National Drug Control Policy, who don't even believe that hemp is legit. They think that the hemp, entire hemp movement is just. A, a, a code word for legalizing marijuana. And I'm directly paraphrasing a gentleman who worked directly under Barry McCaffrey and is quoted about 17 minutes into the Hempsters Plant the Seeds documentary. It's just, it's the same kind of disrespectful attitude they have towards other scientists. It's basically, you know, okay, we'll do our best to pretend to take you seriously as long as you acknowledge that your movement is inherently not serious. I mean, it almost sounds like some of the creationist stuff or uh, climate change. I mean, are we really at that level of denial? Yes, we very much are. You know, with the issue of, I was just going through emails earlier today where John Lovell, a legal advisor to a couple of law enforcement groups out here in California, was calling me the hemp Taliban and also saying one of the major difficulties is it's impossible for law enforcement to tell the difference between uh, industrial hemp and illegal marijuana growth from the air. And that's just demonstrably false. That is visibly false. Uh, it, you know, hemp grown for fiber, especially, you know, that kind of growth looks like uh, bamboo from the air. You know, you want to grow it as close together as possible to inhibit branch growth because you don't want branches. You just want the long tall stocks, you know, as opposed to if you're growing medical marijuana, you're going to want to have your plants grown far apart 
and, you know, nice and large and bushy. And the only plants from industrial hemp that are even going to remotely resemble that kind of grow would be an oilseed crop. And even that would look a bit out of place because you have seeds everywhere and traditionally marijuana farmers try to, to avoid that. Uh, I think the technical term for the policy is no sticks, no seeds. But I, oh, I, I, see, I see your point. I appreciate these distinctions. Hey, we're going to have to uh, get further into this another time. I'm super grateful to everybody for, uh, you know, just making sure that they could tune in yet again to Hempire. My hearty thanks to Alex Brandt Zawadzki, who's clearly the, the, the man of the hour as far as hemp is concerned. And uh, <laughs> I my, go that far, but my incredible gratitude things. to the Cannabis Radio production wizards. Uh, I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine, your host. I just want to say, uh, follow your heart and let the data be your guide. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.